but for a five-year-old they're awesome you know? yeah so it's kind it's kind of like a yuletide yeah. slender man podcast bonus episode i call them bonus episodes but sequentially it's just the next most recent episode but i like to make you feel like we're giving you something special a little bit extra and today's bonus episode is for spider-man no way home and not far from home which i titled incorrectly two youtube videos Uh, so yeah, no way home. That's what we're talking about. Uh, with me, as always, is my gorgeous, stunning, and elegant co-host Tim. Tim, how are you today, darling? Nah, Merry Christmas. Come in, man, and know me better. <laughs> I, had to, I had to bring out the ghost of Christmas present. For this. Uh, are I'm you familiar with that? Is that? Not really. I mean, I liked it. Oh, There's no two ways from, about uh, it. It's, it's from uh, A Christmas Carol, The Ghost of Christmas Present. Tells uh, Scrooge to come in, man, and know me better. Right. And I was watching Muppet Christmas. and talking uh, traditional the Muppet, Muppets yeah, or Muppet. Bill Murray Scrooge. Scrooge is so good, but this one I was watching Muppets Christmas Carol, Ghost of Christmas Present. Does a really good job with that, so it was on my brain. I'm great. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. I'm a little bit weary. I had um, a family Christmas do last night, so um, I'm not hanging out my ass, but I'm certainly not standing on my own two feet either. So let's <laughs> let's yeah. get let's get things moving. So we are the end podcast. We are on all your favourite streaming services. On not streaming services, we're not on Netflix. Let's get this right. I, I, that was bad. Uh, that was bad worded. We are on all your favourite podcast locations. Podcast locations. We uh, collate art on Instagram. We write reviews on Twitter, and yeah, we just do a real good job of it. We we have the one, the end pod shorts on YouTube. So give us a click, give us a follow. I mean, there's a lot of people that are listening to this. I've got the analytics now. I need you to start clicking that subscription button, guys. I need you to do it. Are you going to do it for you? it's Christmas? Come on, even if. You trim the fat as people do in the new year. You want to drop those podcast pounds. Get rid of a sound, but just give us a chance, baby. You've clicked on us already. You're listening. The hard work's done. You've asked yeah. us out. We've said we'll go to the dance with you. Just reply yes. Thumb it. <laughs> Thumb it and bum it, baby. <laughs> so, today, Tim, Spider-Man, did you like the film? Yeah. I know there's some recency bias, right? Anytime you see something. Mm. I saw this yesterday. Uh afternoon but i have to say my expectations for this were, were really high and i do think it is the pinnacle of the superhero genre and shows you just what it can achieve it's not a flawless movie but it was an incredible experience what's your view 
Oh, I absolutely loved it. I adore this film. I don't have any children, but I can only liken it what my expectations are to the birth of a first child. I was overcome with emotion in ways I wasn't expecting. It was sad. It was um, exciting. It was heartwarming. It had everything. And and generally when something swings this hard, and I always like things that swing hard. That's why Mm -hmm. my balls are so big. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to derail us already. You had to spoil it, didn't you? You had to spoil it. <laughs> Funnily, friend of the pod, Shane, did a double bill. Mm. He went to see Eternals and oh, No Way Home back to back. And he oh said, God. categorically, he just saw the worst and the best MCU films. Well, I definitely think he saw the best MCU film. It's not Eternals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah, that, it was that way around. Now, look, guys, I'm going to put this up from... It's spoilers. Take responsibility for your own experience. Because sometimes people don't mean to give spoilers. Well, we will. And we are going to spoil the fuck out of this film. And I don't know when it's going to happen. Timestamps below. Fast forward. Oh, no, there's nothing else, is there? There's nothing else today. So just just come back to us. I'll fucking listen to it. I don't care if I spoil your experience. It's all clicks. Clicks and listens. (laughs) 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 But yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about it. We'll probably try for the first part. To just give a brief explanation, and then we'll go heavy, heavy spoilers at an undeterminate point in the future. With expectations, clearly there was a lot spoken about this, to the point where the coverage of this made me unfollow Scooper YouTube. It made me sick to the back teeth. (laughs) It made me say, it's just a Spider-Man film. I loved it. All the reveals worked. Nothing was obligatory. Nothing seemed like it was put in his fan service every any person that had any agency in this film it worked like nobody just ran through the motions and somebody just popped up somebody just popped up and then they went every single person in this film had a job to do and fulfilled it impeccably and and let's not forget as well this is a really really important thing everybody said justice league couldn't work because you're introducing too many characters they said that Spider-Man 3, Amazing Spider-Man 2 didn't work because it was overpopulated. This just goes to show you can have as many characters in a film as you require as long as they are integral to the plot and not just brought in because they think that's what people want to see. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. I Let me just also say, I second, I, I like you, did the whole thing where I basically shut myself off from rumors about this movie. So I... Did, I did not get push notifications from any of these like scooper YouTubes. I did the thing where I filtered out everything on on Twitter. Yeah, what yeah. I didn't do, Matt, what I didn't do is I didn't filter out my like whenever I got my iPhone, wherever the fuck that was. Okay. It's like mm. they ask you, like, do you want to do push notifications for these like different news or whatever? So I do like okay. CNN and like Washington Post. So I didn't think about this. And yesterday, not yesterday, it was like two days ago. I got a push notification. I'm just like, like look down. So I think I'm, I'm fine, right? And I look yeah. down. Mean, meanwhile, by the way, two years, basically, of me being com- effectively completely blind about this. I didn't watch the trailers. I didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. I looked down to a push notification from, I believe it was, like, whatever it was. I, I, it was either CNN or Washington Post, which are the two ones I have. Um, 
And it says like Feige confirms this X fact about Spider-Man No Way Home, and I I fucking went ballistic because it was something yeah. truly critical, something I expected mm. but did not want to be confirmed. And yeah, I was yeah, ex- yeah. I was just so angry. Like it just goes to show you how hard it is to be blind to this, even if you're trying to be. Um, and I feel I've said yeah. before we need to be better protected. And I know this isn't like a big deal. Life goes on, but these things are important. They're important to us, and that's the scale of how yeah. probably comfortable my life is. But it's important. The thing that wound me up the most on was on Venom 2, with the post-credit scene. And Google, because it knows my searching habits, is uh, Instagram influencers in their underwear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or comic book <laughs> stuff, right? So, Right. And I went on to Google, and the first thing suggested article was the post-credit screen from Venom 2, 10 days before the film came out. I was absolutely livid. However, somebody said to me, what you need to do is, after the press screening or before it, put Google and Safari on uh, incognito or private browsing, and that will take care of it. But uh, Well, but why... you shouldn't have to know that. You know, exactly like... what I was about to say. It shouldn't be my responsibility. Yeah. They used to get them to sign NDAs when they went in. Um, right. and they still have to put their phones in um, like plastic bags and, you, and they get them back afterwards for the screens but I just feel we're in a position now this year has been the worst for it and I think we said in a pre- previous episode the reason for this is that Feige doesn't, doesn't usually have uh, subcontracted visual effects people or CGI people but because it's such mm-hmm. a crunch at the moment look at what's happening with Doctor Strange and also because this was Sony They've, they've brought in CGI contractors for Venom and this, that it it means that they're not, they don't have jobs to worry about. They'll just go back to whatever their agency is that's, that sent them there. And it, I think it, Grace Randolph makes the, the point perfectly. And I've said in the past that really, this the Marvel films are as much um, animated as the, like, Lion yeah. King inverted commas live action is because it's sort of everything's re, um, redone, all the costumes are redone in post, and it's all done on green screen. So if the people, the people are being redrawn in CGI and everything's on green screen, then what's left? Nothing. Right. Their faces, their faces. So they're still programming these films as if they are live action, when really, which would be typically a year, a year's primary photography, principal photography, and post production. Whereas really it needs to be the two years that's given to any animated film. And I think that's why mm. we're seeing more and more crunches. And look, the industry is only getting bigger and bigger. And it's a finite resource of people who are te- technically adequate enough to, to, to do this. Other than that, I just want to clarify. I got that push notification before the movie was came out. So it's not like I right. saw it yesterday, right? After the movie was released. Mm. So I, I just find yeah. the whole thing like, even if you're really, really trying your best to avoid something, it's very, very difficult to do. Now, these are things that I, this one particular element of it, I expected, you know, to, to see, but I did not want to be confirmed. I wanted to be like truly yeah, surprised. Exactly. And now having said that, when when I was in the movie theater and this thing did happen, it's like, I, I knew it was going to happen, but I was still, it's execution was like truly wonderful. So it wasn't, it wasn't ruined for me, but um, I don't know. I just, I don't know. We, we beat this horse many times, but it was just the Harry Styles that. thing. It wasn't the Venom thing, actually. It was Harry Styles is uh, oh yeah, yeah. In the MCU, and it's like yeah. right. I forgot about it. It's probably because I was so bored in Eternals that I forgot about yeah, it, and I just yeah. I was just 
worrying about how quickly I could get out there. And then when Harry Styles mm-hmm. appeared, I was like, oh, there's Harry Styles. So, but I mean, that doesn't have the impact. Yeah, all the guest appearances and the surprises in inverted commas, like big surprises. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as they right, say on the right. John Campier show. But yeah, the way they executed them was just perfect. And British cinemas don't whoop and cheer. There was a lot of whooping and cheering in my um, in my in my showing. It really. Yeah. People fucking loved it. And it felt like some of the reactions were genuine surprise because you forget that we're so deep in the culture of totally. it. Totally. You're not your normal dude that's just going going to watch the new Spider-Man film that's not necessarily following things on YouTube and whatnot. When uh, when one of the people appeared, the first big reveal. Well, let's yeah. say there was a reveal. Okay, cool. Uh, but the first big reveal, people were like, oh my God! And they yeah. actually could not believe it. Yeah, it was... I'm just, I'm smiling ear to ear talking about it now. It's just Love so... It. It's just like so... It just, it's just kind of got this warm glow. My, like, Talk. emotions just thinking about the film. A movie like this, you realize, often hard to articulate the difference between a movie you, you really like and a movie that real you love and mean something to you and it is that like warm glow like right now i'm like so excited like in my life because of this movie it's like yeah it's like i can't i love i love this movie it's like yeah so it is it is a distinction like let's say like like eternal i liked much more than you did and i liked it was kind of ambitious and i i had fun Mm. watching it but this is like 50 standard deviations above that like how much greater this yeah. is and how much more fun it was and how much it more it meant to me to watch oh they just crushed it and i know i'm probably blind to fan service mm-hmm. and i'm sure like a an objective reviewer will point out to me all the ways i've been serviced in this movie but mm-hmm. i don't give a shit i love being serviced mm-hmm. like anyone else and the reveals were spot on truly moved me in many ways my dad is a fairly Phlegmatic. I wouldn't go as far as stoic person, but he has a very come what may attitude with things. Yep, could be worse, could be better, sort of thing. And yeah. he yeah, yeah. he he called me pissing like with excitement. He was just yeah. like I could almost feel him shaking. And he was like, Oh my god, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I'm like, What's happened? What's happened? And he goes, I can't, I just can't believe it. Unbelievable. I was like, Dad, what's happened? And he goes, I've just come out of Spider Man. It is absolutely brilliant. But at the end of it, he said, I had to stop myself crying. And, and this is my dad, like I said, he is not a publicly emotional man, unless he's down the uh, King Power Stadium and Leicester have just scored the last minute winner. But that's more of like a, a release, isn't it? Yeah, you do have all the jokes and the quips, but and that's what I liked about this. This was the first time. And don't get I'm not a huge Spider-Man fan. There's characters that I love. When Bernthal was confirmed to be the Punisher, I messaged him on Twitter and said, Don't fuck this up. This is my chance. This is my chance to get a fucking Punisher that I can it was overwhelming because it was still in yeah. the days of not everything's being turned into it. Never thought I'd see anything. I mean, I really like the Ray Stevenson Punisher. I thought that was the most accurate portrayal until I still probably like that a little bit more than the series, but there are both brilliant portrayals of the Punisher. Thomas Jane was fine, but it was a lot more of a comic book 
adaptation, if you know what I mean, as opposed to a Punisher. It's what people expected from a comic book adaptation. I'm not emotionally invested in Spider-Man. I've been really critical of Tom Holland's Spider-Man in the MCU previously. He's whiny. Every every key relationship he has, he is subordinate in. That's Mm -hmm. why I liked Andrew Garfield. Because he was cocky, he was quippy, even when he's in the absolute peril. But when it came to it, he stood up and it was like, now it's time to go. Now it's time to get serious. This is where the fuck, this is the money shot. Do you know what I mean? And totally. I get why people didn't like his Peter Parker. Because, look, he was a guy that was knocking on 30 playing a 16-year-old. Ridiculous. I don't know why Hollywood still do that. But it's probably to make them relatable to a bigger audience, I suppose. So you're not watching a children's film because it has children right. in it. Right. But ch- children's. <laughs> I like the children's. But with Tom Holland, he is, he, first of all, he was introduced in Civil War and he was good in that. The Russos wrote him really well. He was quippy and that's what I wanted from a Spider-Man. And also it had the insecurity of Peter Parker. So he's already been through that situation and then he subordinates himself to everybody in the first Spider-Man in Spider-Man Homecoming. Then he goes and fights Thanos. Is a key part of the whole of the premise in the first film. And mm-hmm. he has one of, one of the best individual shots where he's like saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mr. Stark, or whatever it is. And then he comes back. And my cinema, the midnight showing of Endgame, when Spider-Man came through that portal, is the biggest cheer I've heard in any film ever. And again, British cinemas don't do that. We're a shush, I'm watching my film sort of environment. Mm. People lost mm-hmm. their shit when Spider-Man came through that portal. And then we go to Far From Home, and he's a pissant again. It should be, yeah, pissant man. That's what it should be called. The way Tom Watts was, I don't know, he's not writing him, but the way he was directing him. Don't, don't have me wrong. What I've loved about this is I've seen a maturity in Tom Holland in the presses. I feel like he's grown up. I believe he is a man of his own standing now. He's not the sort of yappy little dog surrounding Chris Evans, surrounding RDJ. I really felt that he had this gusto, this um, sense of presence of how important he was as a man. He spoke with such confidence and surety. And that's translated into what I had from this film that... There was an emotional intelligence to it. Agency over his own role. He was actively making decisions. Things weren't just happening to him. This felt like he was in control. And I know he made the character makes poor decisions, but I felt like there was just a strength in the portrayal, but also had acting dexterity that I wanted to see in the other ones. The real maturity about this performance from start to finish. Completely agree. Can we get into just into some of the spoilers not like plot points necessarily but like just so we can talk yeah, specifically about certain spoilers. Uh, this is this is the benchmark okay so all right here we go so as everyone who has seen the movie now knows we get all three we, you know we get the multiverse we get all three spider-man now mm-hmm. let me ask you do you have any attachment i mean you talked about andrew the andrew garfield uh, amazing spider-man mm-hmm. Do you have any attachment to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Is this something that, like, when he's revealed, is that meaningful to you? At the time of his films, I wasn't bothered at all. I rewatched all the films before going into this, maybe a month, two weeks ago, to a month. They're really good films. Really, really good films. Everyone talks about Spider-Man 2, and I know at the time, because it was more serious in tone, and also that incredible train or tram sequence. Like, don't get me wrong, Octavius was a great... Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, flawed, yeah. the flawed villain. But 
Spider-Man One is probably as good as it, and it. And when you compare it to the first X-Men film, which is absolute dog shit now, it is borderline unwatchable. Spider-Man One holds up equally as well, and it, I don't know if I'd say it's as good as two, but it, it doesn't really bother me to even have that discussion. They are both really good, and also Spider-Man Three isn't as bad as I remember it until mm. he gets the fucking black suit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah. when it falls apart but it isn't the tragedy so to answer your question here's the thing with toby Maguire, if you're to believe reports he turned into a bit of a prick so yeah his reputation goes before him i had much more emotional attachment to andrew garfield because he had yeah. such a bad experience with it and to see him wearing this and do you know what that motherfucker tricked me you know I was believing him. He was getting angry with people. Like, no, it's done. I'm not answering these questions anymore. I'm not in it. I'm sorry that everyone's going to be disappointed. That motherfucker can act even in interviews. I, I swallowed yeah. that shit up. I was like, maybe he's not going to be in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My Spider-Man is the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. The first one came out like, two, that was it 2000, 2001? Yeah, the original Tobey Maguire one? Yeah, yeah. It's like, like 20 years old and it was the first live action on-screen depiction of a, of a marvel movie that i think i mm. had seen at the time blade maybe say again was that 90s was blade oh, in the 90s oh, i don't know i don't even know if i saw blade blade is in the 90s i'm not sure i saw it i might have been too young to go to to it by myself i'm not i don't remember exactly or may not have been interested but i i, I definitely remember loving loving yeah. loving the stan raimi Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and I've, mm. I've been a fan of it for you know 20 years since I always go back to them and so when he comes through the portal I mm. my I truly my heart was like sore I was like oh my fucking god to be clear this is the shit this is what was spoiled to me on the push notification that Andrew Garfield yeah. and Tobey Maguire are in the movie and I yeah. and it assiduously tried to avoid that to be confirmed right um so yeah. I knew it was going to happen but I but I was surprised like how emotionally affected i was by mm. him coming through and what's interesting is like you get to see when they're all on the same screen together mm. how different the personalities between the three of them are it's not as if yes. like each of them the andrew garfield amazing spider-man has a clear his peter parker is clearly different than toby Maguire's, which mm. is clearly different from tom holland's it's such a joy to see them all together and they have amazing chemistry together yeah it was oh, really man, really I, good it was so good it was so good so good, so good. <laughs> and and I love the way Toby Maguire one comes through, and he's just what did they call him? Like an internet preacher or something like that? A, a, a fashion, yeah, a tri- yeah. like a, a hip internet right, preacher. Right, right, right. Yeah. And he's got, right. have you got a suit? And he just pulls it down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so good. That's so good. The way the characters behave, like their behaviors mm. are completely understandable in light if you are aware of like, their characters throughout their series. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man comes in and stops Tom Holland from ultimately ending killing Green Goblin right at the oh, end. Yeah. That resonates, right? Mm. Because that's exactly, you know his, his journey from darkness to, to what he is now. And it, it gives it that all that more additional emotional punch that Tobey Maguire comes in and does that. Especially and in light of the fact that that's his villain. And, and you know, mm. go Absolutely ahead. Absolutely loved what they did to Tom Holland in this. Like, oh, when he's losing control, it was absolutely chilling. And you could see it coming. And what they didn't do was, it was there was no like MacGuffins, no Chekhov's gun, nothing like this. Yep. Just by the look on his face when they were talking about him, you knew, 
That's acting. That's real acting. That's fucking street. Totally. That's Russian street ballet acting. Do you know what I mean? The underground, the seedy underbelly of acting. Which actually exists because John Bernthal was sent to Russia to stop him being a naughty young man. They have acting camps in Russia that are like military ran. You know, like it's basically like the red room for acting. And he said, yeah, yeah. That's, harder. that's harder than any training I've ever done. It's fucking crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But he was yeah. so, so good. Just that, like just a little inflection in his face or like a little sort of depression of an eyebrow or something. It's just so, so good. And to see him yeah. lose control. I don't think it's really a film of themes or anything to talk about. It's just a character arc. And yep. with that, they're superheroes, but they're people. With Spider-Man, it's not like a Captain America or a Tony Stark where they have a, uh industrial level of support behind them. Like, they both have billions, whether it's personal wealth or the wealth of an institution behind them. Spider-Man is just a kid. So mm-hmm. he doesn't have fail-safes. He isn't being monitored constantly. And in the same way, he's not directly responsible to anyone, especially now Tony Stark's gone. And I think the, f- the loose and fast way that Doctor Strange deals with him takes away that level of responsibility to a like, father figure or mentor. And the back and forth between them was, was to sort of... <laughs> evidences so, that but i but i liked it i liked it so much it. like dr strange is almost like the quirky uncle do you know what i mean that comes around at christmas yeah. like you enjoy being with him but the kids are just embarrassed because they actually have to live with him like all day every day and he does not change <laughs> yeah but because yeah. because of that that level of responsibility is not there i agree it's just such it's such great acting about his going sort of unhinged is the ways in which the other Spider-Man attempt to save him from the things that damage that so badly damaged them. So, like the Amazing Spider-Man saves Tom saves MJ in the way that he couldn't save Gwen as a as a redemptive arc for him, but also a, a, as a way of like protecting Tom Holland from that fate, right? And then there's also mm-hmm. like a, like we already talked about the end where um, the Tobey Maguire, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man you know saves mm-hmm. Green Goblin from Tom Holland. What's so poignant about that? He's the Spider-Man that really that had such incredible rage, right? Like, Tobey Maguire is, yes. the, is the rageful Spider-Man. Yes, yes. And so he knows what that Vengeful. can do. Can, and he's protecting Tom Holland. He's not saving mm. Green Goblin, although he mm. is. He's also saving Peter, uh, Tom Holland's Peter Parker there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought it was like, the interplay between the three of them is so great and the way they wove those character arcs throughout yeah. the entire series, right? So like the three current Spider-Man films, but also... All, all the earlier iterations of this was seamless and really quite beautiful, I thought. Going back to that Andrew Garfield scene, as soon as I saw MJ fall off that, fall off the tower or the scaffolding or whatever <sighs> it was, I knew immediately, I was like, this has to, like, if Andrew Garfield is in this, which, you know, at that point, I believed he wasn't. <laughs> but if he is, he has to save her. There has to be, and even yeah. in my mind, I pictured it. But what I didn't anticipate was Tom Holland going after her. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, maybe she's yeah. going to die. Like, may- maybe this is going to be, like, the, the thing. Because I'd heard there were some heartbreaking moments. And, like, I thought, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the sort of reflection of the other characters. And they're going to bring him back because they've suffered the same kind of loss. But yeah. then when Garfield, oh, my God. I'm just, like, emotional talking about it. When he goes and grabs her. Honestly, my lips were wobbling. My eyes were all glazed over. 
people with people were cheering, but I couldn't because if I thought if I opened my mouth, I'm gonna fucking cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of the several t- scenes I oh, actually wow. did cry at, Matt. I, it's I so thought it was good. so poignant, you know. It's so it's so good, and he's such a good actor, by the way, and she is incredible. I mean, it it, it oh man, they really they killed that scene. I thought. Yeah, yeah. I just and, it, it. and what I liked as well, again, this wasn't a film of foreshadowing. It just hit you with gut punches. It just allowed things to happen. There was no, I mean, obviously their relationship and him being happy with her and all that kind of thing makes it more more um, uh, pertinent. But to be honest with you, if that happened with unrequited love, it would have been equally as impacting because you have the we'll never know what could have been sort of aspect mm-hmm. of it as well. But before we get on to the supporting cast, I just want to run through a few things that stuck with me. And these aren't criticisms. They're just little nitpicky things. So the first thing was, I the first thing that took me out of it that made me think, okay, it reversed the spell. So anybody who knew who Peter Parker was coming th- came through, you've just got to allow it because what you can't have is a million people. But at the same mm. time, my mind was trying to instantly think of all the people who who would have known who it who it was and and there is a, an assortment from each of the films and you've brought the villains back a delta amount of time before they were murdered so then Gwen Stacy surely serves the same purpose or mm. and also they're just in the cinematic worlds that we know so what about the infinitive the infinitive realities that we haven't seen that have minute differences. Why wasn't there an infinitive amount of Andrew Garfield Spider-Man? An infinitive yeah. amount of time. And I know it's... Look, I'm not asking them to change the film because it would have just made the sublime ridiculous. They could have just worded that one sentence better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just completely. Just a little bit better. Just that little bit, because it made me start... Yeah, it did, make, it did make me start thinking a little bit too much. And then you do think about it, and I found myself like missing something because I was like, "Wait a second! Like, how how does this work? You know, it's like in the movie theater you're trying to puzzle it out. What you want to do is like just get you want it to wash over you, right? Um, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Completely. So another slight nitpick was the premise of curing villainy, and I think it's easy with this easier to an extent because all of these villains have undergone some sort of procedure that changes their mental state and makes them inverted commas evil as opposed to their uh, normal persona. When you think about a run theme in the X-Men, they're always fighting a mutant cure. Mm-hmm. So it kind of asks the question, well, is, is it all right to cure the evil mutants? Like that's just a part, if you break the law, we're going to cure you. Or is that just an oppressive regime? And also it puts... It puts something in the future as well, that when other characters are fighting people and they're trying to solve a problem with their fists, is there now not a rehabilitation process that's been volunteered by this film that is Mm -hmm. consequently just going to be ignored? And I, I understand, yes, because the film has to happen, but... I thought it was quite like conceptually quite a big notion that we had to comprehend and how that affects everything yeah, going yeah, forward. Totally. Not exactly connected to that one nitpick I had. Well, I guess I had two. One is you can just shoot a villain with this like rope and just imprison them in the sanctum sanctorum. Yeah, like exactly. wow, that would solve a lot of problems. It could have solved 
a lot of problems in the past. And the other thing is like, I didn't buy, I, and again, this is something that I, I don't care about because this is not the point of the film, but I didn't buy necessarily Dr. Strange willingness to, to cast yeah, the spell in the first instance without really discussing its consequences, maybe working out exactly what Peter Parker, what Peter had in mind there. Like, what are you attempting to achieve? And then all of it happening within the course of like two minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll tag on to that. The, with the Doctor Strange is the post-credit sequence, the trailer for Doctor Strange. When I watched Captain Marvel, and I was watching Nick Fury, I was sat there thinking, he is overdoing the Nick Fury persona a little bit in this. Like, I'm a little bit tired of this now. And I didn't know if it was intentional, but obviously that was, was it a, a scroll? Or a, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the scroll, yep. wasn't it? Uh, Talos. So I didn't know if that was intentional, but I was picking up on little notes in the performance during the film. I was like, I think I've had enough of Nick Fury now because this is just everything's just overpronounced. Like when he says, "Bitch, please, you've been a space." <laughs> I was like, it's overdoing yeah. it a little bit. But that was supposed to be improvised, so I know it's probably not intentional. But reading into it, uh, <laughs> the yeah. way that the Doctor Strange performance was, I was waiting for a reveal. One for the reason you said. And also mm-hmm. how he, he's quite an abrupt character, but he just seemed too well-receiving of everything. Like, okay, mm-hmm. kids, yeah. Okay, we'll just send the kids out to do it. It's not like, like he's controlling by nature. The whole thing of him against Stark was who's in charge, who has the best ideas, who's going to solve this. I didn't need your help. And now he's just gone, oh, yeah, this is a really big fucking situation. Yeah. Off yeah. you go, kids. Totally. I, have other I was waiting for... Yeah, I was waiting for a reveal. But maybe the reveal is is that he was busy with the situation that's going to be uh, released in Multiverse of Madness. But he was just trapped, wasn't he? Falling for like an that's hour my, or something. That's my thought. So I couldn't tell. Well, we can talk about that scene, but I couldn't tell. That true end of credit scene was strange. Usually you get an actual scene, right, that like sets up the next film. This seemed more like, I like at first it, it felt like a scene, then it just went into a trailer, it looked like, which I thought was mm. a little strange. Un- mm. Like unusual, but... It looked amazing. I mean, I'm not going to say it wasn't. Yeah, it didn't look, look good. Really cool. The one yeah. thing that I picked up on as well, and this is more than a nitpick, where they left things at the end of Far From Home with the big reveal of Peter Parker mm-hmm. is Spider-Man. I immediately thought to myself, well, shit, like how is this going to work with the through flow of the films? And when you think about it, this is quite astonishing. We've had five MCU films since Endgame. Two of them have been Spider-Man films. That's crazy. Wow. That's like Iron Man in phase one. And there had to be, I think, that quick turnaround because you couldn't have that overhanging in other films and, and whatnot because it's, yeah, it, was quite, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a big disruption to, to New York, wasn't it? Or Queens or wherever he's from. So that was set up to being a massive problem. But all it was was vis-a-vis for the multiverse. Like we had to find an like, audio-visual MacGuffin to get us to the multiverse to create a problem right. for him to have to go to Strange. Sure, there was the immediate backlash. There was the police, heli- sorry, there was the reporting helicopters. There was people outside his house. But it felt that once we traversed that part of the film, once it turned to the physical conflicts of the film, when it was, you know, vil- villains against heroes, that that part of the film was just forgotten. Like nobody's following him. Nobody's trying to find him. There's no one trying to take pictures of him. There's no. Yeah nothing appearing it's just like the whole end battle you've got three spider-men on the statue of liberty 
and the the reporters in helicopters were there in it like the drop of a hat when they found out who Peter Parker was, but yet there's no police presence as literally the Statue of Liberty is falling apart. Right. And I felt right. that there was a very clear line where they went, right, that part of the film serviced what we needed it to service, and now we're going on to this part of the film. And I felt it was right. a little bit right. abrupt, and it was something that I that I noticed. But Mm-hmm. And again, people have said, why is it so important for him to have his secret identity? And it goes back to what I was talking about before. He doesn't have the protection of the state, an organization, or money. So mm-hmm. he is very vulnerable and unprotected as a hero. And I think that's a, a very clear separation from literally every other hero in, that we've seen so far. Yeah. He doesn't live in a compound like Tony Stark. He lives in an apartment in Queens with his aunt. Yeah, know, like- exactly right. Yeah, he's not like in the yeah he's not in the right, Avengers compound right. like Vision and Wonder. Or... If you're listening to this at this point, you 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 probably have seen the movie and so know that Aunt May is killed. That really affected me. I I don't yeah. didn't think I cared so much about like that mm. relationship really in the prior films, but it, I thought it like hit. It was like emotional. This is not one of the scenes I cried at, but I but I I understood and I bought like the way this would attempt to like. That would take yeah, yeah. that would reveal Peter's underlying darkness, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I like that, and I do not think that this is an instance of someone being, you know, fridged, you know, refrigeratored. Mm. She's a character which is like well fleshed out in the series and also in the film, and she has her own things going, like with Happy in her career, yeah. like her career. This is not just like someone servicing Peter Parker's character arc. This is, that's not, and I, I, and it's not how I interpret yeah. it. Did you think it was necessary to kill her, or do you think they could have had a Happy Hogan Iron Man 3 or Rhodey Civil War moment? Like, would that have been impetus enough? Did you think that uh, Aunt May's character needed to die? Um, I think it, I don't know if she needed to die, but I, but I like that she did in the sense that it gave yeah. his transformation, like the rage he then had to be, had to be saved from and save himself from mm. was all the more real to me and also on, uh, I don't know I was ambivalent to it not it but the choice to kill her mm-hmm. I was disappointed because I really liked having this Aunt May in the universe and I was disappointed mm-hmm. that, that character's story had been terminated and I was disappointed that there would be no more of that but I think as a plot point it was yeah it had the emotive pull it was intended to so I don't have any complaints, only disappointed that that character's not in it. This is something I was thinking about. I don't think we've ever been, ever heard Uncle Ben being mentioned in this iteration of the character. Because yeah. Stark cuts him off and says he doesn't want to hear it. Aunt May never talks about his, his uncle. Is, was she the Uncle Ben of this universe? in my opinion. I mean, she says, with great power comes great responsibility. That was like a big reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, not at that fact. Yeah, I think she serves that purpose in, in this MCU, right? In the MCU yeah. universe. Yeah, yeah I, thought, I definitely I, thought that. I thought, like, ipso facto, that meant that there was never an Uncle Ben in this universe. That it was all always Aunt May. Like, um, single adopted parent sort of thing. Because there's never any references Although, isn't to there... there is there... I, I feel like if memory serves, there might be one reference, which is on like a piece okay. of luggage. Do you remember this? Like, okay. I'm not sure which film it was in. Yeah, like, it's yeah, like yeah. he has Uncle Ben's uh, suitcase or something, because it's just a quick like shot as he's like closing a suitcase. Right. Yeah, I do know. When they go in Far From Home, when she sneaks yeah. in the Spider-Man suit, you could be right. There. Yeah. I always thought that there was an Uncle Ben, but I do think that Aunt May 
is the Uncle Ben character in this universe, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. When you think about Happy, he's lost a lot of people as well. Everybody talks about wondering, admittedly, she has lost the most. But Happy's been through a lot. And yeah. he just becomes more like resolute through it. He's almost the antithesis to Wanda. He just makes him more resolute and protective as opposed to unhinged and demonstrative. Totally, totally, totally. I really liked his character. I actually thought it was Happy that was going to die, you know. I thought it was Happy uh, that was going to bite it. Because non-canonically with Jon Favreau picking up, there's rumours that him and Filoni are going to be the leaders of the Star Wars uh, Lucas... Well, it isn't Lucas films, is it? Because that would include Indiana Jones, and they're not certainly not going to be writing those films. But for the Star Wars as a studio per se, this talk of him stepping up and taking some responsibility away from Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe there have been a lot of the ties that bound him to the MCU, happy to the MCU, are now severed, right? I mean, Tony's gone. Yeah, he, he no longer remembers Peter, so that's yes. severed. His character is complete for different reasons other than mm. through death. I mean, Tony's estate would just go to his family, wouldn't it? But it'd still need a day-to-day running. Stark Industries would still require someone at the helm. But yeah, it seems true. like Happy wasn't a part of that anymore. He's just hanging out in Queens, as far as we know, with uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he had a right bachelor pad as well, didn't he? He had a right little playboy pussy old pad. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and like games machines and all the little black leather and that kind of shit kinky fucker (laughs) i think as well with the supporting cast i have to say that i'm not either taken or not taken by zendaya she may well end up being a great actress but i think sometimes there's such a buzz around somebody and yeah it's just a lot of people going oh we need zendaya because everybody else wants zendaya not saying she's a bad actress there may be zendaya films that i am unaware of where she is superb in did you see euphoria the hbo show no 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 i didn't see that Oh, she's a real actor. Oh, really? Okay. The, the well, I take is incredible. She's so good really? in it. But yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, the point that I was circling around to was this is the first time when I've thought, hang on a minute, this this girl can act. She wasn't used as not like a plot vehicle, but more of a catalyst to to, to Peter Parker. Now they're together, he could just concentrate on being. One, Peter, and two, Spider-Man. The first one was good because she was the Mardi bum of the group. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. in the second one, I didn't like the will they, won't they. I just didn't like it. it I found it annoying. But what I like about the MCU, and this is when I first noticed it, they didn't do the arsehole stepfather thing in, in Ant-Man. He was a good guy. And they all ended up getting on and they respected each other. And it was a really, it felt fresh and modern and yeah. refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. The Zendaya MJ, when you look at what a selfish Marty bitch, um, who was in the first one? Oh, um, uh, Chris. Yeah, Dunn. she is a pain in the arse. Like, does she just, like, he's Spider-Man. He might not be able to come and see your play. Like, <sighs> do you, can you not fucking understand what he's going through and trying to fit together as a young man and yeah. keep you happy? What a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and she is so fucking selfish as well, all the way through the film, even when it's just her and Peter. She's making him jump through him. She knows, like, nobody could not realise that Peter Parker loves her. But again, with Zendaya, she was just a supportive partner. There was no unnecessary friction. There was no emotional adversity there. And I loved that. And I loved that she became 
a character in her own right in the same way that Ned's been from the very, very beginning of it. I yeah, just yeah, yeah. really, really liked how she was portrayed in this film. And, and which, I like... also, which also made the emotional punch at the end when everybody forgets who, like, how everybody forgets who he is. My dad said that's the moment that broke him when he go, when he goes into the diner at the end and she doesn't recognize him. My dad, oh was like, my it god, broke me. it broke me completely. And you can tell, like, from in my opinion, from the from the very beginning of the series, like, it, it's set up in the first movie where she's sort of like the cynic the whole time that that is masking like a truly deep vulnerability, which is really truly yes. revealed in this movie where she talks about like. She she finally lets go of the fact that you you can hope for something good, right? It's not just if you if you expect disappointment, yeah, yeah. you're going you won't be disappointed. She abandons that, right? Her cynicism is masking like something like a mm. deeply mature emotional person, and mm. that's paid off at the end. Where mm. I'm with your dad, the scene where he goes and tells them like she, tells MJ and Ned yeah, that yeah, they're not yeah. going to remember him, and and like that. Oh my god! Like even talking about it now, I'm like tearing yeah. up. A little bit. And then the the diner scene, I thought I thought was like completely overwhelming. Oh my god, it was incredible! I I loved it. I loved her character. My favorite MJ. I mean, by far. The emotional growth that he shows at that point, where he's been acting completely uh, emotively throughout the film and making rash decisions, that finally he goes in and he's just like, "Oh, okay, I'll, I'll just walk away from it." Yeah, and actually, now that we're talking about it, I didn't think about it at the time, but that that fact that he puts the paper back in his pocket, like the fact that he rehearsed what he was going to say to her, is set mm. off against that. He goes to the MIT like lady, and he gives her a little yeah. speech in the car, and, and she's like, "You didn't rehearse this at all, did you?" Oh, and he yeah. gives the speech then. Yeah, I didn't even think of that until right now. It shows it's that a, growth. But I think our deep appreciation with what they did with the villains, like sure, a couple of them were kind of bench warmers. Sandman, pretty much bench warmer lizard pretty yep. much bench warmer yep. but the other three in green goblin octavius and who's the other one tim Electra. 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 they all have really clear distinct individual character arcs they're not just mustache twiddling villains that are hocked up on villainy and evil <laughs> We really see the duplicity in each of their characters. They all show that they are, are capable of reform. They're also attached to their identities in, in a certain way that like it's still a part of them. Totally, totally. And the fact that they're tied, each of them are tied to their, in some ways, to their previous selves, but also mm. in some ways to their villainous selves. There's a certain tragedy to their arcs in that respect. Yeah, exactly. Which I thought like was very well done. And, and and they really did the, the filmmakers. I I don't think it's like some big decision to set Sandman and Lizard on the bench for the most yeah. part, and and to feature the other three more. That's what I would have done. But I think it really made a lot of sense because in the comics, especially like the Goblin and the Doc Ock character, those are like the classic kind of like yes. Spider-Man villains, and they've exactly. been so well developed in the previous movies. So it made complete sense to do do it that way. And I agree, they were fleshed out. You don't have to reinvent the wheel and reflesh them out in this movie. I tell you one thing that's just come to mind, another little nitpick, is all Sandman wanted to do was get home. And he at the beginning, he was like, I don't care what happens to the rest of you. I'm getting home to my daughter, right? And then mm-hmm. at the end of it, he's campaigning against it because he's trying to get the Spider-Man, which by default would then mean that he couldn't get home. It didn't 
put him in conflict with the other villains as much as it could have mm-hmm. done. He was just very much speaking to camera, I want to get home to my daughter. And there wasn't then somebody else saying, well, you're not fucking this up for us. They, they were all kind of like independently addressing Ned and MJ and Peter. There was no yeah. adversary generated between them for that. So that was one thing that I've just realized I found slightly curious. But yeah, still. no, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because at the heart of it, when you look at the, all those villains, they are all super intelligent, qualified people. There's none of them that are just dipshits. Maybe Sandman, you could probably say, like he was a bit of a, a down and out. But the other ones are all super intelligent, like a victim of their own creativity, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Uh, again, enhancing the tragic nature of it. I mean, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get around to this. This is like the big talking point. With the introduction of Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, those individual scenes when they oh. appear. The Andrew Garfield one is so funny it's like mm. i loved that whole scene was so great because we've talked many many times about how like the down moments i mean to make the down mm. the the sort of more intimate moments resonant you have to have like the big set pieces right to set off against them but we've talked mm. a lot about how those like moments in the mcu people just hanging around a table in some ways the best version of that where he's just like so on target andrew garfield and it's like mm. so funny it's so punchy MJ and Ned are so great in that film. It's or in that mm. scene where he's like climbing the wall and they're trying to like get him to, you know, to say like, oh, yeah. "Are you actually Peter Parker?" And he has to. Prove it. So good. This is so good. Right? <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, oh, just get that cobweb." And he's like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> and he's like hanging yeah. on two fingers, isn't he? To he's start like, with. he's like hanging from the ceiling by his hand. That's not enough for MJ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel like it ranks for you overall, MCU-wise? I don't know. I've been asking myself that question quite a lot. The problem is that I probably overrated in like in the literal meaning of that. I overrated some of the early ones because yeah. everything was so fresh. Well, I was probably a standard iteration over each of the IMDb scores, consistently so. Mm-hmm. The, the escalation of quality to the end of phase two was so distinct that it sort of changed the rules a little bit. I feel like phase three, not so good. I've been underwhelmed by this phase so far. So it's hard to put it in context because there's so many films now. There's a context of what each had to achieve. And yeah. I think it's a solid eight or nine out of 10, but where that is contextually with everything that goes before it, I'm really struggling to rate. Let's put it this way. When I first got my 3D projector, I watched Guardians of the Galaxy every day for a week because it was the only 3D film I had. When something's that good, you know the jokes, but it's the anticipation of them and not the immediate effect of the jokes and the punchlines that comes through. And it's still enjoyable. I felt the same with this as I did coming out of Guardians of the Galaxy, but I've not had the opportunity once I know everything that's coming and the effects of all those things, how does it stand without those surprises and the emotional impact? In a year's time, when I've watched it 10 times, I'll be able to answer that better. But it's in the upper third, upper quarter. It's up there with the best of the MCU. That's how I feel about it now. How I'd rank it, I've got no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the same with... It's hard to rank them. I have them like in tiers, kind of. You know, it's like... I would definitely put them in the top tier along with Guardians of the Galaxy. And I have Endgame in the top tier. Hard to say because either, maybe I'm overrating this or maybe I'm not. You know, the earlier movies, for instance, when I saw Thor, I was I had no expectations I for it. I didn't really know much about the MCU. Exactly. I'd seen Iron Man. I just didn't know, right? I was so surprised by how much I liked it yeah. that I 
got a, like a really good grade for me at the time, but there are no expectations at the time. Whereas here, it's like you have the entire MCU behind it, including things that are like truly great, like Endgame and Guardians of the Galaxy. And nonetheless, mm. I thought it was incredible. The MCU as a whole has ramped up expectations that I it's yeah. difficult for a movie to meet them at this point, but this one did. So it makes me wonder that like maybe I'm, I feel so great about it now, but maybe I will continue to feel great about it because my expectations for the entire project is so high, mm. you know? Mm. God, we've not even spoken about the Daredevil appearance. With that Daredevil appearance, kind of pointless, wasn't it? You could take it out and the film still works. Almost completely forgot about that. And it's potentially yeah. like maybe a little bit of nitpick for me because I didn't see it. It did serve no purpose at all. Hey, here I am in the MCU. Yeah, I'm that great. Day, Tim. I don't know if you've got much else to say. Me too. Good stuff. So. No. Uh, do you want to talk about for a minute or two about um, the mid credit scene? I thought it was curious, to be honest with you. I was screaming at the screen is, how is Vulture in both universes, but the symbiote had to be left in one when Venom went back to the other? I didn't mm. understand that. It, it didn't make sense. It, I struggled to to work it out. I don't know. I know at face value, yeah. it's he went in universe and left in universe. I don't get it. Like right. the Clintar's a race anyway, so the two things could happen independently yeah it completely. made me scratch my head a bit completely yeah. i don't think that, I don't, I don't think that the venom films aren't that good enough for it to be like oh my god tom hardy's in the mc like oh okay you're great exactly yeah, fine. I, i'm a little I, i'm like a little bit down on the tom hardy venom movies mm -hmm. and so i i don't know and i'm so high on these right now it's just like let's not poison the water let's just keep this up or you don't have to do this i get what why they're doing it and stuff i mean why they want to they're both they're all very successful but mm -hmm. this is an economic proposition but i don't know little and so i wasn't per se disappointed with the scene i thought the scene was actually kind of funny um yeah, but i yeah, yeah. i do not want oh yeah, i don't yeah, want to use explaining these. the heroes yeah. wasn't he yeah 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 that, yeah so yeah that was yeah that i was did good. enjoy that yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that part yeah. was good. But the, so, the impact of it, I, I wasn't too bothered about. So, guys, I hope you've enjoyed our discussion about Spider-Man No Way Home as much as we enjoyed the film, but not likely because, I mean, that would be stalkerish because we very much enjoyed it, as you heard. Uh, again, <laughs> if you made it to the end, please subscribe, like, follow, comment. If you're watching this on YouTube then the podcast is available on all your favorite platforms and we are the end underscore pod on social media if you can't find us through the end then look for spank media the end ignore all the erotica and you'll find us somewhere on that list <laughs> so that only leaves me one thing to say we have been and this is the end <laughs> all right good job mate